evidence and answers. When tragedy strikes, we ask the haunting questions. Why, God? Why do you allow evil to befall upon the righteous? Where are you when I need to hear from you the most? Why are you so silent? When I need to hear from you more than ever. We've all been in such situations, and we've all asked those questions, haven't we? That's why Job is such a powerful book. Throughout his whole ordeal, he asks the questions Christians struggle with, but are afraid to ask publicly. Why do the righteous suffer? and the wicked prosper. Why has God abandoned me in the time of my greatest need? Why is God silent when I need to hear from Him the most? How do I get through the pain when I'm hurting and God seems so far away? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we're going to listen to an insightful and inspiring message from one of the most profound books in the Bible, the book of Job. Let's join Pat now as he presents his message on Job, Lessons from Suffering and the Silence of God. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Job here. And as an instructor with the Bible Institute of Hawaii, I've been teaching through the book of Job. So when Daryl asked me to come and preach, I decided, well, we're going to go through the book of Job. All right, so as we begin, let's pray together. Father, we pray you instill us with your wisdom from the wonderful lessons of this mighty book. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a few weeks ago, I was greatly saddened, and many of us were, to hear the news of the death of one of my favorite athletes, a former San Diego All-Pro linebacker, Junior Seau. I had the privilege of going to college in San Diego, and so I got to see him in his college days and eventually get drafted by the Chargers and play for the Chargers and watch him throughout his career. And his death was an apparent suicide in which he took a loaded gun and pointed it to his chest and, and shot himself, ending his life at such a young age. And here is a man with so much to live for, one of the greatest athletes of our time, and a committed believer in Jesus Christ, a man who loved God and served God and faithfully served in his wonderful Bible-teaching evangelical church. And a nation in sorrow watched as his mother spoke to the media and her only words before the camera. In such agony, she looked up to heaven and shouted, why God, why, why, why? And as she fell back, before she collapsed into the arms of her family, her final words were, God, take me, take me instead. And she collapsed into the arms of her family. And it's at times like these we ask the haunting questions, right? Why, God? Why do you allow evil to befall upon the righteous? Where are you? when I need to hear from you the most. Why? Why are you silent when I need to hear your voice more than ever? We've all been in those situations, haven't we? And we've all asked those questions. And that's why Job is such a powerful book. Job, we know, suffers from what appears to be an unjust suffering. And through the whole process, he asked the questions we all Christians struggle with, but are afraid to ask publicly. God, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? God, why have you abandoned me in my time of greatest need? Why is God silent when I need to hear from him more than ever? How do I get through the pain when I'm hurting inside? Will I ever come out of this dark tunnel of pain and suffering? 
And that's what Job is all about. It addresses these issues. It's one of the most profound theological, philosophical books in the Bible and teaches us a very, some very, very profound lessons. Now, I'm going to walk you through the entire book of Job this morning. We're going to highlight some of the key lessons that Job learns throughout this whole process about suffering and the silence of God. Now, we're introduced to Job in chapter 1, and the first thing we learn about Job is he is a righteous and godly man. In fact, his righteousness is revealed in his conduct. If you look there in verse 4, it says, His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one of his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So on their birthday, they would come and have a great party. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus, Job did this continually. Job is a righteous man, a man who fears God, a man who's living for God, and his righteousness is revealed in his actions. When his sons and daughters would have a big birthday party, the next morning he would wake them all up early and go and offer sacrifice for their sins and consecrate each one of them. That's the kind of man this guy Job is, a man of integrity and a man of righteousness. Now, in verse 6, begins a cosmic duel, a cosmic showdown between Satan and God. Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also amongst them. Now, from the language there, we see that it wasn't a regular thing Satan did, coming before the presence of God with the angels of God. But he comes before God here on this occasion, and the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro upon the earth and walking up and down upon it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And so Job's righteousness in revealed in what God says about him. And God says, This is a blameless and righteous man, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God says that about this man. And Satan says this, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And so the cosmic duel is this. Satan says, You know why Job and men like Job, mankind serves you, God? They don't serve you because they love you. They don't serve you because you are worthy of worship and they worship you as the creator. They serve you out of selfish means. They serve you from what they can get from you. That's why they serve you. You know, they serve you because you give them eternal life. You give them peace. You give them hope. You give them happiness. You give them good fellowship. Right? Take all that stuff away and they'll curse you to your face. Mankind serves you out of selfishness because of what they can get from you. That's what drives them. And Satan says, take all that away, and you'll see even the righteous man like Job curse you right to your face. So that's the cosmic duel going on here, and God says, all right, you may touch everything he has, but of him you may not touch. And so in one day, you know the story, Job loses all of his livestock, then he loses all of his harvest, and then he loses all of his servants. In other words, his entire livelihood and all his material possessions are gone in an instant. And then 
On top of that, to make things worse, he loses all of his children in that one moment. And upon hearing the news, Job gives an incredible response in verse 20 of chapter 1. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. How many of us would worship at times like that? And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of us would say that in a time like this? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know I'd really struggle when I've been in moments like this to even get those kind of words out of my mouth. But that's Job's response. Now, in chapter 2, Satan comes back before God. And God asks Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? Despite all that you've done, he has not cursed me or despised me. And Satan responds and he says this, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan says, Okay, all right, but I tell you what, inflict his health and he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, all right, but spare his life. And so Satan inflicts him with a horrible disease in which boils break out all over his skin and he becomes infested with parasites crawling all over his skin. He eventually shaves his head and tears his clothes and sits in a pile of ashes. And now Job has lost everything from his business to his family and now even his health. And the situation is so bad, is, is so hopeless, that his wife, probably in tears, having just lost her entire family, seeing her husband in such a condition, in tears probably comes up to him and whispers in his ear, Honey, why don't you curse God and die? How bad does it get when your wife tells you, Hey, end it all. Curse God and die. And Job responds in verse 10. It's one of the... Uh, most favorite passages of many men. He said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You speak as one of the foolish women. See, guys, when you've been saving up money for the new set of golf clubs, and your wife comes and says, Honey, I think we should spend that money on a new set of dining room chairs. You just say, You speak as one of the foolish women. You know? And when she gets mad, you say, honey, I'm just quoting scripture here. You know? Anyway, I know, I know a lot more of you guys want to laugh, but your wife is staring at you. So you're, I, I understand. I understand. Ushers, I'll need an escort after, sir. All right. But in all this, Job does not sin. And that's the second great temptation that comes here. His wife comes up to him and says, curse God and die. The very thing Satan wants Job to do She's tempting him, and, and Job doesn't do it. Now, one of the first lessons that we learn is that God's ways cannot be put into an easy formula. All right? Life and why things happen, and the ways of God have no real formula or easy answers. And the reason is this. Hey, often there's more going on than we can possibly conceive and understand. Now, we know that there's a cosmic battle going on here, between God and Satan. But Job doesn't have a clue what's going on. We do because we got chapters 1 and 2, but Job doesn't. All he knows is he's been living a righteous life for God, and suddenly all of this befalls upon him. 
And obviously, there's some divine hand in all of this, and he doesn't know what's happening. All he knows is he's been trying to live for God, and now suddenly he has lost everything. And Job is asking the questions, why? Why does evil befall the righteous? Why is God silent when I need to hear from him the most? Why has he abandoned me? He's crying out to God for an answer, and it seems God has abandoned him. God is silent at this time. But unknown to Job, there's much more going on than he could possibly understand or conceive. And in life, the ways of God may sometimes seem a mystery. We may not know all the reasons why things happen to us, good and bad. But there's a lot more going on than we could possibly see or understand. You know, I remember a few years ago, I took a you know, karate kick right there and busted my nose and I just was bleeding profusely to the point where my karate gi was just completely red and everyone talked me into going to the emergency room so I finally decided to go to the emergency room and I walked up to the uh, nurse at the emergency room and I said, I, said, uh, I said, my nose is busted. And she goes, sir, you'll have to take a seat. I looked at her and I went, hey, wait a minute. I looked at her and said, look, you see this karate gear? It's supposed to be white, not red, white, okay? This is blood. And she goes, sir, you'll have to take a seat. And I thought for a moment, I said, why? And she said, well, we've got other things going on here. And I thought, I said, what could be more important than me? What could be more important than emergency? I'm going to bleed to death here. What could be more important than, than my emergency right here? And she said, sir, there's a lot going on. Take a seat. So I started wandering around, and I went over to the emergency room door, and I peered in to wonder, what could be a greater emergency than what I've got here? And I peered into the door, and in one room, there was a man, older gentleman, they were pumping on his chest. Obviously, he had a heart attack or stroke, and they're pumping on his chest, and the family was gathered around holding hands, and they were praying that God would rescue the life of their dad. And in the very next room, there was a young boy in there on all kinds of ICU machines, and I found out that he was waiting for a heart transplant. And the family was gathered around him, and, he was, and they were praying that God would spare his life and provide a, a donor, okay, a donor heart, that he could receive the heart transplant that he needed. And I thought about it for a second, and I realized, even in this hospital, there's much more going on than I saw or understood. And I began to think about it, and the thought occurred to me, what if this man has a matching blood type with this young boy? What if? And thought about it for a moment, I thought, you know, in order for this boy to receive a new heart, someone's got to die. Someone's prayer is going to go unanswered. And what if it's that man right next door? Now, if God spares the life of this man, the people in the room are going, praise God, he answered our prayers. But then the people next door with the young boy are going to say, where's God? Where was he when we needed him? Where was he? All right, but if God allows this man to die, whether it's him or someone else, and their heart is taken to save the life of this young boy, everyone in this hospital room of the young boy will be going, praise God, he answered our prayer. But everyone in this room with the father will be saying, where was God? Where was he when we needed him? You see, there's a lot more going on than we could possibly conceive or understand sometimes. 
And when prayers are not answered, when we're going through tough times, when evil or tragedy strikes, often there's not an easy formula of why things happen in our life. Often there's more going on than we could possibly understand. There's a bigger picture than we could possibly conceive. There are things that will happen in your life and in my life that you will not understand. And it's in those times what will pull you through is understanding the heart and character of your God. Because you may not understand why things happen on this side of eternity. But if you have trust in your Creator and the one who's in control of all things, then you'll have that peace and rest even in the midst of that terrible storm. So when things happen, there's not always easy answers. And what's going to pull you through is understanding the character of your God. Now, three friends come along beside Job. Three friends come on the scene. Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. Now, instead of being the three wise men, if you read the story, they end up being the three stooges. For their words they speak, instead of bringing healing and comfort to this man, end up hurting the man more and bringing more pain. And they exchange words back and forth in three dialogues. And each time their answers become more and more harsh. Let's just take a short glimpse of their dialogue. And you can quickly get a feel of the counsel of these men. First up to bat is Bildad. And the advice he gives is indeed bad. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Bildad says this, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressions. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself and restore your rightful habitation. Bildad says, Job, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're a very sinful man. And you need to repent of your ways. And he says here in verse 3, If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Job, you know what? Your kids got what they deserved. All right? Now you repent and you shape up. Or make it worse for you. And you see, Bildad has everything in a simple formula. He said, God's ways are so simple. So simple, Job. You live for God, he blesses. You disobey God. He punishes. Okay, it's, it's that simple. So Job, you've got to be obviously guilty of some wicked sin. Okay? And in the dialogue, Job says, all right, point it out. What is my sin? And he says, Bill goes, come on, Job. It's so simple. God's ways are so simple. You obey God, he blesses. You disobey God, he punishes. So Job, fess up, man. What is your great sin? Fess up, man. Okay? Because that's how it works. The formula is that simple. Okay? God's ways are that simple. Well, next guy up to bat is Zophar, and his words are also so far from the truth. He comes up to Job, and he, he says, Should a multitude of words go unanswered? A man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men? And when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and tell you the secrets of wisdom... For he's manifold his understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. And Zophar says, you know what, Job? Your sins are great, and you deserve even worse. God's going easy on you. Verse 6, know that God exacts of you less than your guilt 
deserves. See, Zophar's got it in an easy formula as well, right? Job is so simple. God's ways are so simple, right? Live for God, he blesses you. You, don't, you won't suffer. Disobey God, you suffer. So Job, obviously you're suffering because you're, you're a great sinner, man. In fact, you deserve worse. God is going easy on you, so fess up and repent, okay? Because it's that simple, Job. And Job also looks at Zophar and says, all right, point out my sin. Point it out, okay? And Zophar says, well, I can't point it out, but hey, it's got to be that, okay? Because the formula is so simple, right? Next up to bat is Eliphaz, who thinks he has the truth, but once again, he is far off, right? He says there in chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he argue in unprofitable talk or in words with which he can do no good? But you're doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. For your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Your own lips testify against you. He says, Job, you know what your problem is? You have no fear of God. That's what your problem is. Because the ways of life and the ways of God are so simple. Obey God, he blesses. Disobey God, he punishes. So Job, your problem is you do not fear God. Well, what God say of Job in chapter 1? Have you considered my servant Job a blameless and upright man, a man who fears God and shuns evil? All right, but these guys have God in a, in a box, in a simple formula. All right, oh, it's so simple. Obey God, he blesses. Disobey God, he punishes. So the problem, your problem, Job, is sin, some great sin, and there's no fear of God in you. And in fact, in chapter 22, verse 5, he says, Is not your evil abundant? There's no end to your iniquities, Job. You have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You've taken advantage of the poor and the weak, Job. You give no water to the weary to drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land and the favored man lived in it. You sent away widows empty and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you and sudden terror overwhelms you or darkness so that you cannot see and a flood of water covers you. Eliphaz says, man, your wickedness is great. Here's probably what you're doing, Job. You are taking advantage of the poor and the weak. You strip the naked, even of the little clothing that they have. You take advantage of the widows and the orphans. Therefore, that's why this evil has befallen you. Now, we know from chapter 1, none of that's true. Right? But he's leveling all these charges because... These three have got God in a simple little box here. They're saying, Job, we know the formula, man. You obey God, he blesses. No suffering, no pain. He'll bless you. You disobey God, and he'll punish you. And man, you're really getting it, Job, so your sin must be really great, whatever it is. So fess up, man. Right? And the failure of his friends is that they fail to understand God's ways and the things that go on in life. You see, they're superficial and shallow understanding of God causes them to come to false conclusions. They have God in a simple formula. Job, he does it this way. He does it all the time, in a very predictable way. And their shallow, superficial understanding of God led them to some very superficial understanding and some false conclusions, causing Job tremendous pain. 
And they become the third temptation of Job to curse God. You know, if I were sitting here going through this, and you've been in that position before, right? I'm, I admire the resilience and fortitude of Job, not to curse these three and end up cursing God. But that's one of the dangerous things about us Christians, right? We can have a very superficial understanding of God and His Word and come to a very shallow, have a very shallow kind of theology where we put God in a formula and we're looking at life through false lenses and the words that come out of our mouth become false counsel like these three. You know, the dangerous thing about us is we've got a few verses we know and then we've got a few cliches and we think it works every time. I hope you gained some valuable insight from the remarkable life of Job. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this message in its entirety along with Pat's featured articles. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by the message today, please let Pat know and consider partnering with Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join Pat next week as he concludes his message on the book of Job right here on Evidence and Answers.